You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the podcast. PUT is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the podcast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I'm the Executive Director for Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. And I'd like to welcome my co-host, Lauren Young, fellow PUP board member. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Monique. Really glad to have you here today to help with this fabulous topic that we're going to be talking about tonight. We are talking about the Independent Pharmacy Association. So I know this is a topic that you and I have a a common interest in. Absolutely. I really am interested in how these different state independent pharmacy organizations were created, founded, the trajectory of how they've pushed forward and kind of some advice on what states that haven't created their own independent pharmacy association can do to still get that same level of advocacy. And you're not the only one who has that interest. We get that question a lot at PUT over the the time that we have been involved uh, at the state level working with different pharmacy associations from time to time. We fielded questions about the independent pharmacy associations and what someone might want to know if they were either considering joining one or if they were maybe even considering starting one. So that's also something that we're going to be talking about today. So we actually have the perfect panel to talk about that. We have we have three independent pharmacy associations with us today and they are in different stages of their development or life cycle. So first we have the Louisiana Independent Pharmacy Association. So let me start with David Osborne, who I think is the co-chair of the the LIPA board. David? Glad to meet with you all and uh, glad to be a part of the roundtable to share our ideas about the uh, independent pharmacies associations. Thank you. And then we have the chief executive officer for LIPA, Randall Johnson. Randall? Hi, folks. Monique, thanks very much for allowing us to join and visit with others throughout the nation. Thank you so much for being here, Randall. And then we have Don Caffrey. Don, welcome. Good evening, Monique. Thanks for the opportunity. We look forward to the conversation. It's going to be a good one tonight, I think. And then we have uh, Christopher Lagrange, who is a pharmacy student and someone who is working with LIPA this year. Christopher? Hey, how's it going, y'all? Thank y'all for letting me sit in on the conversation today. I think this is going to be a wonderful opportunity. Well, we're really, really glad to have you. Thank you for being here. We also have Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Independent Pharmacy Association. Todd Brown, the executive director, is on the show today. Todd, welcome. Hello, everyone. Nice to be here. Thank you for being here. I know it's late for you. Uh, at the time that we're recording this, we because of the, the diverse group we've got, we're doing this at a little bit different hour than we would normally, so really appreciate you being here. No problem. 
And then we have the brand new Independent Pharmacy Association of Maryland and their president, Shireen Joseph. Shireen, welcome. Hi, I'm excited to be here today and here and, and listen and learn from you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. So as everyone can hear, we've got a nice large panel. Uh, every single person has a different perspective, some different role that they play. They've been through something with regard to the development of the association and the work that each association mm -hmm. does. So just starting off, I think for the people who are listening, it would be helpful to get a little bit of, of history and understanding about your association. And, and starting with Louisiana, David, can you tell us a little bit about how LIPA came to be founded and, and why? Uh, certainly. It seemed years ago that our pharmacy gatherings were uh, mostly focused on social aspects or centered around continuing education. And the independent pharmacists that were involved in, in those gatherings saw a need for more independent focus. And with that being said, the focus needed to be, in our opinion, pointed toward political action. Uh, we were newbies in, on the political scene, uh, naive about how the process processes worked uh, at the Capitol. So we decided to get involved and uh, we, can, we devised a plan and started recruiting members and got a pretty solid board of uh, independent pharmacists across the state. And uh, from there, uh, we started going to the Capitol, learning the process and uh, trying to fend for ourselves as the waters got muddy with PBMs and uh, the tide started turning in their direction. Luckily, we found Randall along the way and uh, he is very well versed on the process and is, uh, is taking us forward in a very fast and monumental manner. And so we're glad to share of, and as you know, we call Randall anytime or myself and uh, the office and we're able to help anybody, especially the newly forming independent associations uh, in the process. David, how many members are there of the Louisiana Independent Association? Uh, I think it varies, so I'm gonna let Randall answer that question. I, I think currently we have about 350 members. We have about, uh, uh, according to licensure, about 475 uh, independent pharmacies in Louisiana, but recognizing that a few of those pharmacies have multiple licenses for the same pharmacy where they may do uh, compounding or they may do long-term care uh, in the same pharmacy. So we truly do have the overwhelming majority of our community independent pharmacies. And we have a number of folks we'd like to join, but they are, uh, they're engaged in some areas of their business where they're letting others do work for them. And that's really the importance that any association is going to have to do is who's going to carry the load and who's going to be there to help them as they, uh, as they move forward. Wow, so in terms of, a, in, of your membership, you have a sizable membership. Is that, from what, you, from what you know, is that normal? Is that unusual? How is that as far as independent associations? I, I think that that membership is driven because our pharmacists are energized in what they're accomplishing. We have two, university uh, schools of pharmacy, colleges of pharmacy in Louisiana. One's a public university college of pharmacy in Northeast Louisiana, um, the University of Louisiana Monroe. And we have a private college, uh, Xavier College of Pharmacy there in New Orleans. 
we have a tendency to see that the majority of students from Xavier come from the New Orleans metro area or come in from out of state. The University of Louisiana Monroe, being a public university, attracts students from throughout the state. And uh, then folks that go into the pharmacy practice know each other, are classmates in that seven-year program, and keep in touch in their community, whether they go to work for an independent or for a chain. One of the regular things that, that we see are a pharmacist talking to uh, a classmate, talking to a neighbor, talking to someone else that's in the pharmacy business saying, you need to make certain you check what life is doing. That's built a lot of our membership because our membership is, is working to get others involved in it. And to add to that, um, I would say that we have two strong uh, Louisiana-owned wholesalers in the state that support us. Um, and so, you know, the, their clients are always in tune with what's going on with LIPA. And so they're at, more apt to join because of that, and, and they see what we get accomplished. So you have a really integrated program, which I, I agree would explain why you'd have the majority of the independents join Louisiana Association and want to be part of that. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. So, so Todd in Massachusetts. Now, Massachusetts, uh, you are the executive director of the Independent Pharmacy Association, and your association's been around for quite a long time, and you've had uh, some ups and some downs. Tell us a little bit about how uh, how your organization came to be founded, your members, and just what's been going on. So, as far as why we were founded, um, I can't really tell you that because we were founded in 1900, way before my time. Um, so uh, I'm going to have to pass on that. Um, but uh, so our, our previous name was the Boston Druggist Association, and that was founded in 1900. Uh, several decades ago, we changed to the Massachusetts Independent Pharmacists Association. And in Massachusetts, we probably have about 150 independent pharmacies across the state. And I'd say about two thirds of those pharmacies are our members. Um, as far as the number of members, that's a little more difficult because we have different categories of membership. So an independent pharmacist can join individually, but uh, a lot of our members are, are members because of the store that they're in. And so a store can join an independent pharmacy can join as a store, and that includes all of the pharmacists that practice in the store. But I would say we probably represent about two-thirds of the pharmacists in the state. And so you, you're in the position maybe of being, if not the oldest, one of the oldest pharmacy associations. Uh, yeah, we, we think we're the oldest metropolitan independent pharmacy association in the country. We now consider ourselves a state association, uh, but uh, but originally when we were founded, uh, it was more in the Boston area and not necessarily a statewide association. And they often build themselves or promoted themselves as the oldest metropolitan independent pharmacy association in the country. And pre-PBM. Yes. Uh, Pre-chain. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that your association has quite a lot to teach other associations out there about longevity and how to handle professional obstacles that are out there. That's great. Thank you. Uh, Shireen, you, 
you have the distinction of being the the newest association. Uh, when you and I first met, there wasn't uh, an independent pharmacy association for Maryland. Can you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about that and why your association was formed? Yeah, sure. Actually, in Maryland, there is Epic and Care Pharmacies, but for some reason, in the, the beginning of 2018. The United Healthcare of the MCOs kicked out all the independent pharmacies out of their uh, network, and we all were in for like a rude awakening. Nobody knew what was going on. So, like, I think in our first meeting, meeting it was like five of us. We just got together just to, you know, in a brainstorm, what to do. Like, why are we here? You know, what is happening? Nobody knew what was going on. That's when we were. We even knew that we had to be politically involved to get our legislations move forward and all that. So we started with just five people in the first meeting. Now we have grown to like 40 pharmacies out of the 300 independents here. Um, we've been you know, around only two years, um, but we have you know, made some good strides and I think we're going in the right direction. Um, so we are not here as a competition for any other groups like Epic or uh, Care. We want to work with them, uh, complement them in, in the, during the legislative sessions to show up because with EPIC, I think it's mostly the board members that come up for all these hearings. Uh, with the Independent Pharmacy Association that we just formed, we were able to bring 30, 40 pharmacists to each of these hearings, which, we, which really helped us with our bills. So we are here as a support right now. Well, Shireen, I know that from my experience in Illinois, we do not have an independent pharmacy association. So the fact that Maryland even decided to step out on that ledge and find a way to complement what you guys saw missing from other groups in your area is very commendable. That's Thank very you. incredible. Yeah, because not all of us are an Epic Pharmacy or a Care Pharmacy. Like myself, I'm independent. I'm not with any buying group. So we were getting left out of all that was happening in the legislative side. So we were like, no, this we need to know like what is going on because we, decisions were being made on our behalf without us knowing. So we thought, you know, that's not fair. Like we need to know what's going on. So that's how we started the group. And I know that pharmacists are not usually known as renegades or rebels and so i'm sure it's been interesting trying to corral some of the independent pharmacies in your states and randall why don't you speak a little bit about some of those unique obstacles that you have found with lipa you know i know you guys mentioned some of the wholesalers coming up and helping you guys with some of the funding aspects, but Louisiana has such a wide range of pharmacies. You know, you have large cities like New Orleans and Baton Rouge, but then you also have more of the country or rural setting pharmacies. How are you able to gauge what legislation is going to be helpful to meet all of those different needs besides just kicking PBMs totally out of your state? As David spoke and mentioned the involvement with the wholesalers, we reflect back to how the LIFA founders discussed with the wholesalers, discussed those activities that they felt they needed to address, and got that wholesaler support and buy-in. With, with five or six wholesalers that serve the state, we see that a good 300 or more of our pharmacies are served by two Louisiana-based wholesalers. One's a private entity owned by the Dixon family, Morrison Dixon Wholesale Drugs, and the other one is a shareholder-owned 
uh, wholesale that has about 180 to 200 uh, pharmacy shareholders. And that buy-in was, was absolutely important. Uh, it's also important as we look that whether those pharmacies, as you mentioned, are in uh, New Orleans or Baton Rouge or some of those large areas that we have, are in their areas where, you know, in fact, David's pharmacy may be the only healthcare provider in town. Uh, as you look at folks are looking for access, we have to remind folks of whether it is the neighborhood in your largest city or it is the pharmacy practitioner in your smallest rural areas, they remain the most accessible healthcare provider. You just walk right up and talk to them. There's no appointment necessary. And those pharmacists are out there giving advice, giving you some good healthcare discussion points uh, based on what you're telling them. If that needs to be referring you back to a position, and you know, I should really let David speak about some of the things they run into. Well, um, that's what we've always done is uh, provide access and knowledge uh, to the patients and customers that we have, um, take care of them. And uh, like Randall said, I'm the only access point in a 15-mile area where I'm located, so I'm one of those rural pharmacies that you mentioned. But now that our services have evolved, and we hope that they keep evolving, but you know, we, we do vaccinations pretty much daily on a daily basis. So I think we grow our membership, we grow our attention in the state. Uh, we try to showcase our services and these things keep us, you know, in the eye of, of the public and other pharmacists as well, and now our legislators. And I know that LIPA obviously works with, you know, student pharmacists coming up since Christopher's an example of that on the call, but Todd, what is Massachusetts Pharmacy Association role with student pharmacists? So I, in addition to being the executive director of the association, I'm actually a faculty member at Northeastern University. Um, and so that kind of limits our ability to have a more formal role because it would be awkward for us to take a student from another school of pharmacy when I'm a faculty member at Northeastern University. And so our role tends to be with students, uh, tends to be supportive of our members. And so our members are very invested in students, take students you know, on rotations, bring students with them to meetings or in conferences and stuff. And so we tend to really just support our members when they have students, try to make the experience that the students have as robust as possible. Excellent. And Shireen, I know that Maryland is still in its toddler type stages, but what do you see the role of being able to provide other valuable assets besides just the advocacy component that I know all of the independent pharmacy association members are looking for in your state? I know some state organization, independent pharmacy associations either want to um, go the opposite direction, simply like LIPA did with not really work, focusing on the continuing education or things like that. They'll let other state organizations or their pharmacy organizations handle that. What are some other goals that you see for the Maryland Independent Pharmacy Association? For, for us, actually, to be honest with you, last year, 40 independent pharmacies 
went out of business. So uh, right now, our focus is going to be um, how to stay viable in the in the situation that we are in now with you know PBMs having 80% control over everything. Um, so that is what we're going to actually you know we had to stay alive to do anything first, right? So that's our goal for this year. You know we are getting our trying to get our own lobbyist and you know try to make some difference legislatively so we can all stay alive and um, continue serving our customers first. And your role is a little bit interesting being in Maryland. You not only as a state association, but also being so close to federal legislators. You're a lot closer than I am in Illinois. I'm assuming that you will hopefully be able to lean on some of your Congress people to help you as well. Yeah, we have had like in uh, 2019, we had a lot of support from our senators. The three of the bills that we had um, unanimously passed both the House and the Senate. But unfortunately, one of the bills that we were really looking forward to, which is the NADAC plus 1049 that has passed in a lot of the other states, didn't get implemented as a law. They reduced it to like a study bill and, you know, it went again into the legislative session this year but still we didn't get anywhere with it. So that's one bill, but we are going to try at it again and try to fight and, you know, get it, you know, maybe get the verbiage right, or we don't know what the problem is, why it's not passing, but that's one bill we really want to get, uh, get done because West Virginia, uh, New York, a couple of the other states we know got it done. So we know we can get it done. So that's one thing that we are going to really focus on this year. That's great. Randall, I know that because I've watched a lot of Louisiana's committee hearings online because I try to look and study those to see what I can bring back to other pharmacy owners in Illinois or as a PUT board member to other organizations, other pharmacy owners across the country. And whenever you are watching a Louisiana committee hearing, it is almost like you guys have a crystal ball that other state organizations don't have. And there's legislation that you guys are putting forward and talking about that in Illinois, we're nowhere near that. And I know there's other states that feel similarly. What are some political roadblocks that you could tell other associations they need to be on the lookout for? Well, I will tell you, one of the first things that we need to look at are our talking points. When we talk with independent pharmacists very frequently, we get bogged down in the question that we're trying to stay in business and we've got to compete against these large corporations to stay in business. That gets confusing to legislators who aren't familiar with what a PBM is, they're not familiar with what a PSAO is, they're not familiar with what a PDL is, and everything starts running together. When they start thinking that you're in competition with big business, they think, oh gosh, you're talking about being in competition with Walgreens or CVS, but you know, they're open and they're on the corner and I see more of them. But, you know, we have to remind folks that half our pharmacies in the state of Louisiana are community independents but you don't recognize that they're there together as an association because they don't have that common logo that's on signage throughout this town. They don't put a circular in the Sunday paper with the unnecessary plastic objects and many other things that they're selling there just as sold on TV. They are healthcare providers. Our pharmacies are healthcare providers. So we've got to change that conversation and remind folks 
that these healthcare providers went to college, got this education, or engaged in business because they care about delivering healthcare to patients. And the greatest impediment our pharmacists have to being able to deliver healthcare to patients and to help patients improve or maintain their health is folks who don't touch the medication and aren't healthcare providers like the PBMs getting involved in that and keeping the patient from having access to necessary prescription drugs that can make them better. I would say I'm really glad you mentioned the talking points because I know that a lot of the independent pharmacies hear the same PBM talking points regurgitated back to them from some of their legislators whenever they're sitting down talking to them and they get bogged down with just focusing on the financial aspect because obviously that's very important but whenever you're sitting in front of a legislator or a committee hearing and you're talking about how much money you're losing you know legislators hear that from a lot of different constituents so it kind of starts turning into that charlie brown teacher wah 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 so david how can you give us some tips on ways that other pharmacy owners can come together and not be nervous to talk to these legislators and really get their point across and make it sound like they're not begging for their business to stay open but or they're not coming from a place of fear they're coming from the place of experience that we've seen what's happened with pbms before we know that they're not doing what they're supposed to and we need the legislators help to fix that i would think first of all of what randall in the office does a really good job at is is notifying and keeping us up to date on what bill is going to be where and when and the numbers to send your comments to the committee. So we have a, a huge outpouring a few weeks ago on, a, on some bills that were being uh, reintroduced, trying to be tweaked by the PBMs, and they were inundated with comments from the independent pharmacists. So the numbers increase. You have you know 10 or 12 or so that can go and be there in person in their white coats, but they also have comments that they get by email to the committee chairman and the co-chair and then the whole committee. So the, I think those that plays a very important role in advancing the message, the message of access and care. Secondly, uh, what we see is um, the human connection. So a lot of us that go there to those committee meetings and send their comments via email or whatnot, we have a personal relationship with some of these legislators. And to stand there and in those committee rooms and look to, and see your patient, your customer <clears throat> on that committee, and you fill his prescriptions for his family, and you know you know his drug profile, and he knows the insurance issues that you've helped him, you know conquer and that sort of thing. That really makes an impression on the rest of the committee that may not know squat about pharmacy because he has a voice and he says, "Yeah, Dave there helped me out the other day," you know. I needed something to call my doctor and they can point out the, you know, the trials and tribulations. So if you have that connection, that's what one thing that I would really highly recommend is to utilize that. Um, you can ask Randall, you really get some, some solid backup from those guys whenever you have other legislators trying to shoot you down or undermine, you know, your mission on the bill. So that's, those are the two things that I would point out. Lauren, I think I can add something to that. Absolutely. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. 
So we really try to focus and leverage relationships between our members and legislators. So we really push our members to invite their legislator to their store, show them in their store what they do, talk with them about what their problems are, what their challenges are, and really what we tell our members is it's great if you know your legislator, but it's even more important that your legislator knows you. And so then when we have legislation that we want to either oppose or promote, we try to leverage those relationships that have been established. That's great. And I understand that there is also a study coming out in Massachusetts with three access advisors. Yes, we're yeah, we're in our second or third version of the of the report. So we're hoping uh, something will be available soon. We're just trying to time it right also to get the maximum impact uh, from that study. That's a great weapon to have in your arsenal whenever you're going and meeting with legislators and being able to show them concrete evidence of what has been found and what money is not being kept in the state. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And, you know, but I think most of our success has been based upon leveraging relationships that our members have with legislators. So oftentimes these hearings that go on and on and everybody shows up and after, you know, a five hour hearing, nobody remembers what happens at that hearing. Sometimes I think to myself, they're really more a waste of time. Most of the time when we've had success, it's been because we've had relationships with committee chairmen or other people who've been able to move legislation or oppose legislation that we're opposed to. And how is the General Assembly made up in Massachusetts? Do you have bipartisan I mean, is it the House in one party and the Senate in the other party? In Illinois, it is a supermajority Democrat on both sides, and our governor's also Democrat. So we know that going into any legislative session, you want to make sure that you have as many of the supporters from that party on that bill, since the super minority support is wonderful, but it can't really get you across the finish line. Yeah, we're about 95% Democratic, but then our governor is a Republican. But I think many people would would consider that in many ways he leans more to the Democratic side than the Republican side. Are there any other political obstacles or odd situations that you have seen recently in Massachusetts that could help other states? Well, I'm not sure how our legislator legislature on average is pretty dysfunctional, which means they do nothing for 90% of the term. And then the remaining 10% of the term, they all scramble and run around crazy trying to get their bills done. And so sometimes that works to our advantage. We're able to push things through very quickly at the last minute. And then other times it hurts us because, you know, they're they're tied up with everything and they're trying to get everything done. But in general, we have found that they typically get tied up with big issues that really don't get resolved at all. And then the healthcare legislation or other 
smaller bills uh, sometimes get done at the end at the last minute. So in that vein, have you found any allies in the state legislature, not specifically a legislator, but sometimes you'll find an ally either in the Medicaid department or, you know, the Department of Insurance that you didn't really know to lean on before, but something happens in a committee hearing that they're in and they are not opposing your bill. And we've been able to work with our health and family services department on some issues whenever we passed our PBM reform bill last year. Have you seen anything like that in Massachusetts? So we have a, it's a quasi state agency. It's called the Health Policy Commission, which the legislators task when they have questions about health care. And so they're tasked to research those questions and come up with reports. And so most recently, we have found that our view of PBMs and the healthcare system is very aligned with their view. And that that helps us because they're very well respected. And so when we can say the same thing as what they're reporting, and we can refer to some of the documents they've created, it helps us with our credibility because legislators then know it's not just pharmacies trying to look after themselves that yeah, here this other governmental agency that should be pretty even nonpartisan is agreeing with what we're saying. So that so that's like one example that we've experienced most recently. The more allies that you can find in your any sort of capital situation, the better I say. Yeah, and I'd say our, our strongest allies are legislators in districts where our members have a very good relationship with them. Uh, Shireen, have you found any allies in your state legislature? Yes, um, actually, the our minority uh, leader, Nick Kipke, he's been our champion of the past couple of years. He's the one who sponsored most of our bills. And we also have a couple of uh, doctors who are delegates, too, so they understand what we are going through with insurance and all that. So yeah, we do have on both sides, people who have really helped us. But I wanna echo some of the things that the other pharmacists mentioned here. In 2019, when we, that's when we really found out that you know, we had to be politically involved. And we started like visiting these delegates office and senator's office. And that's when we found out most of them didn't have any clue of what was happening or, or what we were going through. So each time before the legislative session, we would print out the bills that were being uh, presented that we would make like a short synopsis of what was going on. And we would, you know, write down what our points or what if we are for it or against it or would it help us or not. And we went door to door to each delegate's office and each senator's office. We would start like eight in the morning till five in the evening. We would take turns, you know, if we were working, like we would take turns and go to all these people. And that really helped us to get some of the legislations uh, to pass. That is awesome. I love that you have the support of the minority leader. And that is crucial, especially whatever you're trying to get a different legislation through committees. You know, they can kind of uh, lean in and show that support to you in ways that no matter how many different members of your organization are talking to legislators, sometimes they just need that little push from the leaders. Yeah. You know, since we're talking about uh, relationships with legislators, it's also nice to have a couple of pharmacists in the house, you know. So if y'all know a popular pharmacist in your area, have them run for office. 
and get them elected. Absolutely. I had the pleasure of meeting Representative LeBas from Louisiana last year at the Putt Summit, and he was a wealth of information to get to hear from him, not only from as a member of LIPA and as a pharmacist, but also the, you know, his stance as a legislator and tips that he gave us in Illinois to take back and talk to our legislators about. Absolutely. So Dawn, what uh, state healthcare organizations did you find opposing some of the Louisiana PBM efforts? It was interesting when this started, very few were from Louisiana specifically, but PCMA, the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association, generally led and continues to lead opposition to any legislation that LIPA is opposed to, or if PCMA is, is bringing the legislation, they look to find some of the larger national organizations to bring in to really hammer on the large business, pro-nationwide, multi-state, international type businesses, those size companies, as opposed to businesses that are located in the state, your mom and pop, your small employers that really employ the majority of the middle class and the majority of the citizens of Louisiana. And so it's something that works to our advantage in certain aspects and against us and others because it creates a lot of misinformation, a lot of misinformation coming down from federal chapters or federal chambers. But at the end of the day, as David mentioned earlier, our pharmacists have great relationships with many of their legislators because as Randall said, they are their most accessible healthcare provider. And it's a long-standing relationship and it's a trusted relationship. And so it's something that we're able to point out differences of our position on a piece of legislation as opposed to their position and those long-standing relationships with the legislators allow us to get into the weeds with them and coming from a trusted source, they're able to hear our story and, and allow us to tell our viewpoint uh, in, in committee or elsewhere. It always amazes me whenever we put up legislation in Illinois or when I'm watching a different state have anti-PBM legislation and the Chamber of Commerce, the State Chamber of Commerce sometimes opposes that. And I know that we've had pharmacy owners on the local level, especially talk to Putt and say, you know, I'm a member of my local pharmacy organization or my local chamber of commerce. And, you know, I wrote to that director and they said they support me because they know that if I go out of town, that if I close up shop, that's one less member of the local chamber. And usually PBMs or some of those big healthcare organizations are members or funding the state chambers of commerce. So always interesting to see that kind of play out that dichotomy about a state organization versus the local chambers and what's supposed to be supporting business and what's supporting the monopolies. It's certainly an unfortunate situation, but as we say, all politics is local. And if crafted correctly, it does create a great opportunity for us to message our legislators, message our Louisiana independent pharmacists on how they can reach out to these folks and how they can communicate the actual issues that are going on 
in their local communities and why either legislation that LIPA is pushing is beneficial to those independent pharmacies and those local communities, but why legislation that may be pushed by PCMA or a national chamber of commerce or a national chapter of a larger business federation or organization may be harmful and overlooking some of the effects on the ground. And legislators really respond to that when they know the folks in their community and how they're directly affected. And so instead of taking the viewpoint that, oh, this is a nationwide organization and they outgun, outpower, and can outspend us, potentially we look at that as an opportunity to show the actual local effects and how this is going to harm Louisiana citizens and why these Louisiana legislators need to be better educated and more aware, aware of what's going on so they can help their constituents. And that's an, uh, something we've had great success with and, and we certainly appreciate all of our legislators being willing to listen and taking the time to learn and educate themselves on some of these issues. And Don, just to jump in on that, I think it's really perfect that you just said what you said about all politics being local because the reality is that it is that and so often when we're talking with members and, and pharmacists and pharmacy owners, one of the things we hear is a fear or a nervousness, you know, this sense of, well, I, I couldn't possibly talk to the government. I couldn't talk to my representative. I don't know them. They wouldn't, I, I'm not the person to represent. Can't this just be handled at the federal level? You know, if, if the federal government would just pass a law, maybe that would make the whole thing better. And it just, unfortunately, just doesn't work like that. So I'm glad that you said what you said, because I think it perfectly illustrates uh, what we're really talking about here, which is the value of keeping things local. And, and, and that is the, the big value that we see. And we see that with what General Rutledge is doing in Arkansas with her lawsuit that is in front of the Supreme Court right now and the timeline that we're seeing there. And that's why sometimes we can't afford to wait on the federal government to do these things. And frankly, more oftentimes than not, our local pharmacists are better versed in this topic and the speed and efficiency with which our state legislators can operate and get things done is a better avenue for us. But it's a matter of getting the pharmacists out engaged and confident enough to be able to go and speak with their legislators and educate them on these topics. But remember that what we're talking about and the value, one of the great values of independent associations is if we can have our individual states addressing problems that we're starting to see across all of our states, and then like we did with the clawback legislation, those individual state actions getting the attention of the federal government to where they will swiftly say, this is a problem that the states are bringing to us and the states have addressed and we need to do it nationally. With our clawback legislation, we had express scripts coming in and saying that, okay, this is going to impact things in Louisiana, but it's not going to cover Medicare. And we can still do clawbacks in Medicare until those messages got right back to our federal delegation. They got right back to the federal government. And we saw the Trump administration then embrace those and push those through Congress. And I think in October of 18, that was one of the few pieces that passed in calendar year 18 in both houses. So, Randall, what do you see and what should our listeners be cognizant of to make sure they're educating their legislators 
on making sure that the wording is not going to just sidestep or distract them from the goal of PBM reform? Well, we've had the PCMA uh, group coming in for two years now trying to do the PSAO legislation in Louisiana. We've defeated it both years. Uh, we've offered them, hey, if you want to regulate P PSAOs, we're good with that. Let's start. Let's start by licensing the PSAOs that want to do business in the state. Let's start by making certain that the PSAO contracts have to be valid for all claims in the state in which they're contracting with the pharmacy and the patient is located. And let's making certain that the PSAO has a fiduciary responsibility to the pharmacy that's their client. And we see everybody run from that because one, we don't see that the PBMs will use the word fiduciary in any manner whatsoever. They don't want it introduced into any piece of legislation. Another thing that we've seen them do is try to put language in every bill that's passed uh, to give them an out as it relates to ERISA claims. So what we did, what Arkansas did, what I think Iowa tried was, you know, not mentioning ERISA and working through that language there. And that's been something that they've tried to, to, to use to exclude the ability of state departments of insurance. We, we've also seen them coming in and seeing what they can do by the threat of litigation. Now, PCMA has not filed any litigation in Louisiana. They've, they've threatened. We currently have uh, cases going against Express Scripts. Uh, we've probably got some other matters that are there in, in different jurisdictions. It takes, a, it takes a while to do uh, legislation. It takes a much, much longer time to do regulation or to do litigation. So we have been focused very much on going to our legislature where from start to finish, we're at 60 or 85 days, depending on the session that we're in, where it may take us 110, 120 days to get something through the regulatory process. And it may take us several years to get something through the court systems. Oh, absolutely. And I know that, you know, those sessions seem to fly by whenever you have an important issue you're trying to get through. If you have a piece of legislation on the calendar, then it seems like that session is not long enough because you know there's a ton of other committee hearings and other issues and obviously the budget that comes up. So it never feels like there's enough time or effort put into some of the legislation. So we've got to always remember these legislators are listening to things in a short period of time. From start to finish, they've got to understand what you're talking about. And, you know, some states have legislators that, that meet throughout the year and have committee weeks and things like that. The, the strongest point we've got to have is our pharmacists are there every day. They're not flying into town from Rhode Island or uh, Missouri or some other location. Our pharmacists are there. They're on the corner. They're on the street. They're going to be able to, to see you and talk to you, and they're going to be truthful with you. And when we work with our pharmacists, we have to make certain that every bit of information we share is truthful and verifiable. You know, we have a tendency to share our talking points with PCMA uh, right before we go in the room or the, the morning before we go in the room to let them know, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. This is the story we're going to say. This is what we're going to have. We're sharing it with all the legislators. And PCMA gets so off track with trying to figure out, get their phone, lawyers on the phone to see if they can interrupt us saying something to who has that story and how did that happen and what went on, that it puts them, they get off kilter because we're talking with Louisiana people about Louisiana people. 
and they're still trying to get some information from out of state and see if they can rush through it by the time that their flight leaves town. And Randall, how do you get the legislators to understand the different pharmacist point of view? It's not just anecdotal stories. You know, these are happening time and time again in all of these pharmacies. So I know PCMA tries to say that independent organizations cherry pick the worst problems or stories that local stores have with PBMs, but you truly see it as different than that. But we do because it's not something that we're cherry picking. It's something that's happening in every one of our pharmacies every single day. So we don't have to find a story from last week or last month. We can find a story from yesterday. We don't have to go back at something that happened four years ago. We can talk about something that happened yesterday. And so on the way in, somebody called from the pharmacy and they told us this problem they had. And that kept your constituent from getting their medication. We had a doctor and that doctor prescribed the drugs and that they told that mother that that was going to be life-changing and life-saving for their child. But the PBM said, no, you can't have it right now because we want to check and see if there's something else. We, we talk about transparency. We've got to be transparent. We've got to be truthful. We've got to be transparent. Absolutely. I completely agree. Shireen, what have you seen in Maryland with the PSAO legislation? Wasn't there something passed this session? Yes, ever since uh, the limelight has been on PBMs, they are trying to pass the blame on to someone else. And I think right now PSA is their scapegoat. So this year they were able to uh, pass regulations on the PSAOs, but we were also successful to have some kind of legislation where uh, the MIA has more authority over the PBMs now, where like they have to show them the contracts that is given to us and you know, before 30 days, it's been given to us. Because as you know, the PBMs, every three days, they do an update to their, their contracts you know, by changing languages or you know, trying to find a way to claw back uh, all the time. So that's one thing that is going in the positive direction for us, where the MIA ha now has more uh, control over the, you know, the PBMs. And I know that there's been talk on different social media groups and especially with PUP members just trying to see what they can do to educate their legislators before PCMA or a health insurance lobbyist comes in and tries to shift the blame onto PSAOs or Big Pharma or any of the other targets that PBMs try to put on there. So we'll definitely be watching more from Maryland. Todd, what are some of the new PBM tactics that you're seeing in Massachusetts? Um, we haven't seen a lot. I think uh, part of the reason might be that the uh, perception uh, from the legislators of PBMs has really changed. Three, four years ago, if you asked one of our legislators was what a PBM was, they wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, now, because of a lot of the issues that have been brought up in the press, and hopefully partly because of our uh, education of the legislators. They all know what PBMs are. They all know what the issues are. Part of it is because we've educated them. Part of it is because this quasi-government agency, the Health Policy Commission, has done some reports on PBMs. And so our last hearing that had some PBM legislation, PCMA was there, but they didn't testify. They didn't do anything. They probably met with some people behind the scenes but they were pretty timid at that. And I think one of the reasons was the perception from the legislators in that committee 
was really very anti-PBM. And even our insurance group that represents the insurers, they didn't really testify at the hearing. Um, I think they're all becoming afraid of getting in the limelight and being viewed negatively. And so I, they've been very quiet recently. They're trying not to rock the boat before the Arkansas Supreme Court case, possibly this fall. Yeah, I agree. So what are you seeing on the East Coast with being closer to some of those big PBM headquarters? You know, I know that Randall mentioned Rhode Island, and we always know that a lot of uh, PCMA people come from D.C. whenever they're flying in to testify against us at committee hearings. Well, you know, CVS is in our backyard, and so we see a lot of activity from them, but really not much recently. They've been pretty quiet here. I think because some of our committee hearings, the chairs of the committees have come out right in front and, you know, really said some anti-PBM stuff. And so it's been, uh, it's been a unique situation where really they've been quiet. Now I'm sure they're trying to do some things behind the scenes, but it's all been kind of quiet, nothing publicly. I can't even remember any time this year that they've even publicly testified on a piece of legislation. Well, that means you guys must be doing something right then if uh, they're not actively trying to speak against you. I mean, that stands for some of the credibility that your Massachusetts organization has if uh, you're able to get in a room with them and get the legislators to understand your points so well that PCMA doesn't think it's worth their time to talk. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, part of the public sentiment around clawbacks and uh, and that kind of stuff, you know, I think legislators now understand the issue and uh, aren't going to be swayed so easily by some, you know, one page or a PBM creates that tells them that the PBM is the best thing since sliced bread. I think they're really onto the PBMs. I think hopefully that's going to mean good things to come for us in Massachusetts. That's our goal and that's what we hope for you as well. We're gonna switch gears a little bit and Christopher, I wanna ask you because I know that working with LIPO when I got to meet them at the PUT Summit last summer, I'm, you getting to work actually in their offices, it must be like getting to watch the Avengers every day and getting involved as a pharmacy student is huge because I know we've had several pharmacy students come through at our stores and they aren't quite sure how to get involved or why to get involved and if they're going to go work for a chain anyway, you know, they don't really want to start that in their college career. So what have you learned so far getting to work at LIPA? So one of the things that I've learned is uh, essentially, and a lot of the a lot of the members on the call have kind of pointed it out as well, is that the the pharmacy field and the healthcare field is permanently evolving. There's there's always new steps within the field itself to where now even the schools and the accrediting bodies we're we're pushing for this to be a team effort. They want doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and every aspect of the healthcare industry to work together. But to be able to work together, our stores need to be able to stay open and. I had noticed one of the things that you had brought up in one of your questions about the independent or the independent association's importance. It, it kind of goes back to an example I'll provide that I actually saw within my first week is we were within the legislative session. Um, I was still learning about some of the bills that were going on 
And I looked at Don uh, during one of the during one of the sessions, and I said, "Hey, these PBMs are arguing that they just want to be able to administer the information about a patient based off of a claim. I believe it was for a lawsuit." And he looked back at me and said, "No, no, no, no. I guess the best way to put this is we don't go to law school, so I, interpreting a law is not my strong suit." And he his response was, "No. The way that they've worded it allows it to produce a loophole that if these PBMs would like to go to anybody." And I, I could pull up the exact wording. It says, um, the way that they worded it in the law, it says, any entity authorized pursuant to federal law to direct request of the information. Basically, Don's response to me was, that provides them the ability to send out patient information to anyone that they want, given their correct circumstances. And I think the importance of these organizations is that I would have, I would have never caught that. I, I actually had to ask him in a meeting why we didn't want this to go through because well, I was still kind of new to working with LIPA. I'm still getting, still getting my feet wet, with, feet wet with what this legislation portion of pharmacy looks like. So it's been, it's been interesting. I've learned a lot. Uh, this is still, as I've kind of said, my second to third week of being here and I, I have a lot to learn as we keep kind of progressing through the continuation of the legislative session and all these bills that we'd like to put out. I think Louisiana uh, Independent Pharmacy Association wants to be able to help all of these other states as well to get their organizations anything and everything that they need if they were to ever need assistance producing some of the legislation on their own because nationally we need a change we need we need our career to stay in existence if we want patients to be able to have the best health care possible. I agree with that and they really do back up that they will help other pharmacy organizations as well. So David why don't you tell us what you see on the horizon coming up with other reforms and transparencies and things that we need to be on the lookout for. Well, to dovetail into um, your comments, I would say that, you know, we as state independent pharmacy associations need to communicate more, we need to pool resources more, uh, we need to plan for action on the federal level, and we need to have a bigger voice on the federal level because at this point, when all this dust clears and viruses and whatnot, we need to have those federal legislators on our side and not scared to take action and not only give us lip service, but to move forward for us and their constituents for what we've discussed already is access and honest care. Randall, do you have anything to add? So I think that we've got to look at the others that we can bring to the table that we can talk with. Our association is the most significant funder of the Louisiana Pharmacists Association because we're not, we're not trying to set them aside. We're trying to help lead other pharmacists forward. There are so many times that our pharmacists are reporting issues that are being brought to them by chain drug stores who are saying, we need help from LIPA. We've got a number of different issues that are out there where the chain pharmacies are pushing to have a, a, an increased tech ratio. Um, an expanded tech ratio, and, and they want to have the pharmacists that are able to do prescribing authority and provider status. We've got to look at all those things and what they mean. Does that mean that we get rid of the nurse practitioner or the doctor in the minute clinic, and we put the pharmacist in the minute clinic, and then we expand the number of techs, and so the pharmacist has to do the diagnosis, has to prescribe, and has to send that prescription over to a tech, and then it puts a workload on those pharmacists and on those techs that they're calling LIPA and saying, we need help. The, the squeeze that is coming on pharmacies by PBMs is not just on the independents. The chains are seeing that now, particularly the smaller chains, the grocery store chains that are asking, can we be members of LIPA? 
because we've got to be aggressive about what we're doing. Uh, we look at what we do also with funding a student association at our, our university there, encouraging the students to get involved. Uh, LIPA moved forward uh, a few years ago and we funded a professorship, a scholarship, and now we uh, also passed a piece of legislation that allows pharmacists to contribute to a pharmacy education support fund that funds uh, education inside the university. The simple thing that we ask the university to do is to be able to focus on business practices as part of their curriculum. We're not just teaching to the test. Let's teach to what those students can find would be more beneficial when they are entering the workspace. We tend to want to take what we're doing with our pharmacies and share that information with legislators, share that information with other pharmacists, share that information with other states where we can move forward together and make the, the industry and the pharmacy healthcare providers stronger. Don, do you have any supportive words or tips that you can give some of our listeners that haven't quite been able to get their pharmacy association to the level that some of the other groups on this podcast are? Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember that we at LIPA are in the office five days a week, 52 weeks a year, and we work with these legislators year round. And it's important to tell your local pharmacists that they need to develop relationships with these legislators. If they see their see them in their pharmacy or if they see them around town, this goes on throughout the year. And so while it is nice to be able to lean on a particularly powerful legislator in a time of need, each and every one of these legislators throughout the state should recognize and realize that their pharmacist is their best and most accessible healthcare provider. And because of that, they need to become a trusted source and a trusted person that they can go to any time of the year. Keeping that relationship opening and developing that with multiple pharmacists throughout the state is an important thing to do. And that's what we preach at LIPA. And that's what our Louisiana pharmacists have done an incredible job of is reaching out to these folks and making sure that that line of communication is always open. Some pharmacists don't want to be the active party reaching out to their legislator, but they need to know that that's okay. And that's what those legislators are there to hear. As Randall mentioned earlier, they have an incredible amount of information coming across their desk in a very short period of time. And so if they can find a trusted source, that's an invaluable resource for them to be able to cut through some of the clutter and really get down to the bottom of the issue. And so keeping that relationship ongoing year round and developing that between sessions is a very important resource and something that I can't recommend enough. So Randall, is there any way that our listeners can go online and either watch or listen to Louisiana legislature sessions? Absolutely. Not only for the ongoing sessions, but for any session that we've had. And you can search through legis, L-E-G-I-S, legis.la.gov. You can find information about legislation that has been introduced. Search for pharmacy. Search for pharmacy benefit manager. Search for PBM. And then you can see some of that testimony we had because the great value that we have with that information being recorded, being posted to the internet, is that we have the opportunity to go against the big guy. When you were starting to speak about David against Goliath, recognize the value of truthfulness. When you can truthfully speak in that testimony that you have about 
how you, your patients, your community, your employer groups have been abused and have been mistreated by these large PBMs. Mention them by name if you can show that that's the truthfulness because those folks are afraid of the cover being pulled off. They're afraid of transparency. They're afraid of their name being mentioned. And they're afraid of someone out there who may be analyzing their stock, recognizing that they are unfavorable businessmen and that causing there to be some impact on how the public at large looks at their stock price and looks at their value. I love those tips. Todd, what do you see on the horizon as far as PBM reform and transparency, either in Massachusetts, in the Northeast, or across the state, across the country? Well, so in Massachusetts, we, uh, we tried to get uh, healthcare reform done last year in the last session, and our Senate came up with one version, our House came up with another, and then it went to conference committee and they couldn't agree. We're trying again this year. If anything passes for PBM reform, it will be part of comprehensive healthcare reform in Massachusetts. As far as in the, across the United States, I think we've already talked about it. Uh, everyone's holding their breath to see what the Supreme Court decides, and that's going to change things either one way or another going forward. And Todd, just for our listeners, are you able to view the video live stream or video recordings of any of the Massachusetts legislature's committee hearings or their floor and Senate? Uh, No, we don't have online access, no. So we'll just have to stay tuned to your social media or emails to see what Massachusetts is doing? Yes. Well, great. We can't wait to hear about more success in Massachusetts. And Shireen, as a female, I love the fact that there are other empowered female pharmacists and owners in this. What tips would you give to either female pharmacists or the female owners? What would you give to them on getting involved with their independent pharmacy organization, even if they're not a pharmacist? Uh, Like I mentioned, we have like 40 members right now. And out of that, I think three three females and everyone else is male pharmacists who who even owns or works there. So yeah, for me, like I was really nervous to do any of this, but when um, your customers depend on you, when your family depends on you, uh, when a community depends on you, I think we have to keep the, all that fear away and we have to like step forward and do whatever we can. And it, it doesn't matter if you're a male or a female, if you're really willing to work hard, put your time in and learn things that you don't know and try to overcome your fear. Anybody can do this is what I'm learning day by day. And I think, you know, the more we become empowered, we can help other females, females, males, it doesn't matter. We can help other people too. And all we are looking for is to have like to um, support our business, to keep our business safe so that we can pass it down and have a legacy. So that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to as a female pharmacist. And what are you seeing on the horizon in Maryland? What's coming down the pike? We really want to go back for that NADAC plus bill where West Virginia, that's our neighboring state, was able to carve out MCOs from their Medicaid structure where it's uh, the Maryland Medical Assistance does all the billings and the PBMs do not have any hand in that. So we are that's one thing we are trying to do. But because it's unfortunate that even all this legislation that we are going year after year, it's only for the 20%. Everything else is being protected by the ERISA. If we can at least get get the, the MCOs carved out, we probably have like a better chance of surviving. 
And Shireen, are you are our listeners able to view or listen to any of Maryland's state committee hearings, Senate or House sessions online? Yeah, they are live. Excellent. Hopefully we can all learn from each other and be great resources for that. Monique, I love that you chose me to be your co-host because I get to see the different passionate answers from our guests and see even though they're from different parts of the country, they still have that great independent pharmacy support system that we all need right now. It's really a wealth of information, isn't it? It's incredible. Thank you all so much for all of your wisdom and your insight. We started the conversation talking about the value of the independent pharmacy association. And I think throughout the course of the entire show, it's become so clear. I mean, I think it was, it was always inherently clear just in the name independent pharmacy association, but you can hear the work, the advocacy and the way that, you know, each organization is organized around the independent pharmacy business, the small business, the neighborhood pharmacy, the community pharmacy, just in terms of everything that you all had to offer. We just appreciate you so much. And so I just want to again, take a moment to thank Louisiana independent pharmacy association, thank Massachusetts independent pharmacy association and the independent pharmacists of Maryland for being with us. Uh, to everyone who is listening, thank you so much for listening and we will see you on the next podcast. <laughs>